Second Corinthians, please, just one sentence. <clears throat> Second Corinthians, verse 9, verse 15. Hurry up and find it, or it'll be over before you get there. <laughs> Verse 15, please. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now that's the expression, really. Um, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift that must be on the lips of every believer. It's not must in the sense that it's some sort of magic and if you say it three times you'll have a good day. But must in the sense that if you really get it, if we really get it, then that will be the expression really all the time. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. If you want to put something like on your mirror uh, as you're in the bathroom every month, if you want to be the first thing you see Put that there, right? That's it. I'm going to write a book someday called Mirror Christianity. Um, because all the things that we have on our mirrors, you know, to kind of remind us when we get, uh, get up in the morning to see. That should be it, shouldn't it? That's uh, why every morning I, I recite uh, to myself Psalm 100 because it has this expression, serve the Lord with gladness. It's today, serve the Lord with gladness. Why? Because I'm thankful for this inexpressible uh, gift. Now, now we have some words we use, lots of words, obviously, to describe this inexpressible gift. Um, we think about, at least as Presbyterians often, uh, from Ephesians in chapter 1, how inexpressible it is. What, what amazing thing has true about us that he has chosen us in Christ before the foundations of the world. I mean, if you want to be thankful about your salvation, meditate upon that. That's why he revealed it to us. So we would praise him. Praise be to God. Why? Because he has chosen us in him before, the, before anything. The Bible says he's known us. Now that doesn't mean he's just really smart and he knows everybody that's going to be around. But when the Bible uses the word know, it means that he loves us. Know in the sense of intimacy. Know in the sense of Adam knew Eve. We know what that means. It's not the same sense, obviously. That's a different kind of reference. But, but when the Bible says that God knows us, it means that he loves us. When he foreknew us, he knew us. He loved us ahead of time. And so to know that you as a believer in Jesus have been loved by him before the foundations of the world that we were in him, in him in such a way that when Jesus died, he made propitiation for our sins. He extinguished the wrath of God for all those in Christ. Done deal. Now, you may say, I don't understand all that. Duh. But praise him for it. Allow that to work through you in a way that you begin to shudder and you have cold chills and whatever else other emotional expression should be thanks be to God. And then we talk about being justified. That is, that that we're declared righteous in his sight. Think about that. I mean, you know your life. You know all the things you've done. You know all the things you've thought. You, You know all of that. 
You know, all the things you haven't done that you know you should have done and all of that. And you know that those are sins against God. And yet, he, not because he's just sort of winks at it, but he declares us righteous in his sight. Why? Because in his love, as we know, we rehearse this all the time. He put the penalty of our sin upon his son, not upon us. That perfect sacrifice so that we might live. And you think about that and, and, and so that he could declare us righteous. See, you're righteous in my sight. What did we just sing a minute ago? Now every vow we've broken and betrayed, you're the faithful one from the garden of the game. Bind us together, bring us shalom, bring us peace. We've, we've broken all the vows, but Jesus never broke a vow. We talk about being justified, this little expression, just as if I've never sinned, all right? But also just as if we've always obeyed. When you think of that, when you sin, you realize that Jesus obeyed for me. And that doesn't make us flippant about our lives. That makes us grateful and love him to the point where we desire that righteousness. We're justified. We're adopted into his family. We were estranged, but, 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 but now he's taken us to be his. We're his children. We have access to him. And, and, and again, I know father is a hang-up for many, but, but this father, this father is the father. He's the perfect father. Everywhere we as fathers have failed, God never has failed. We've all failed our children as fathers. And we hope they, they realize that and look beyond us to, to, to grasp a hold of the love of this father. He always listens well. He always disciplines perfectly. He always has the best, our best interest in mind. He's wise and he's loving and he's good and all of that. That's this father. We've been adopted by him. We're being sanctified. That is, he's, he's taking us and, and he's put his spirit within us because the work of Christ broke the penalty and power of sin. He puts his spirit in us so that we no longer live need to live in the muck of the misery of sin, but rather can live to obey and love. What a great blessing. What a great gift of that. And then this final act of glorification. When we'll be glorified, that is, that we'll reflect perfectly the image of Christ, which is our deep and great desire. He gives us purpose in life, a calling to live a holy life. He gives us a purpose in life to do good work, to love other people. He gives us purpose in life to witness of Christ and, and all, of, all of that. And these are words to express what Christ has done for us. And we say thanks be to God because we know these are all on the basis of grace. None of them we deserved. And we can tell that by the very language that's in the New Testament. The word grace is the word charis. The word grateful is the word eucharistos. So we receive grace and it produces in us gratefulness, this sense of thanks be to God. And I, I, I know you may get tired of me saying this. I never tire of saying this. All right, so don't worry about it. You'll hear it again. The gratefulness comes not when we compare what we have with what we need, though most of us have more than we need in terms of material things. Not even when we compare what we want and what we have. Most of us have what we want, essentially. Maybe even more in terms of material things. But really it comes down to when we compare what we have to what we deserve to have. And then if we really understand what we deserve to have and really embrace the fact that our sin results, that we deserve hell and we get heaven, that we deserve to be estranged and he adopts us into his family. 
When we realize that, that's when we really, really grasp being grateful to him. I know many of you have already experienced this, but you'll experience it throughout the day where your kids will get bored with all the new stuff they got. Now, we expect them to get bored with the underwear and shirts, but there's other stuff they got that they're going to be bored with. And, and we might, too, might end up, you might get that sense of being bored with it pretty quickly. And one of the reasons is, only one of them, there are many, but one of the reasons is that somehow deep down inside, we think we deserve those presents. I mean, after all, we've been good for goodness sake. And we've been watching out. And so we look at our lives and we go, of course they gave me all this stuff. But you know, that never breeds real gratefulness. Gratefulness. If you ever talk to a person, and they're diminishing among us, but talk to a person who was a kid during the Great Depression, they can name all the presents they ever got. Because they never thought they would get any of them. But there's something even more, you see. Bind every gift as a giver. When you're a kid, it should be this way probably, at least when you're little. But you'll need to grow out of it. And as adults, I hope we have. That behind every gift, there's a giver. You know, when, you, when you're a kid, you get a gift and all you care about, I got a great gift. Look at this. Who's it from? I don't know. You know, and you got parents saying that's from me and they go, Pfft. or grandparents, you know, thinking they're buying affection. And uh, uh, that's what we do. Uh, right. They're going to like me. They're going to like me. Uh, and they, they go, Pfft. I just like this or I don't like this. That's, that's it. But you know, as an adult, you get, I mean, I got some cool stuff today, I got to admit, but nice stuff. But it's the giver that I think about. And it's the giver that I'll remember. That's the blessing of the gift. They gave, they, he, she, they gave me this. That's the sweetness that will remain And you see, the sweetness that remains to us is that God has given this to us. And it really is grace. And we must really uh, know and respond to him. We we can describe it. We can talk about election. We can talk about predestination. We can talk about uh, justification. We can talk about regeneration. We can talk about adoption. We can talk about about our, our sanctification. We can talk about the glorification to come. We can give words to all of this. But when it boils down and we're really, really thinking of this, there's a sense in which we realize we haven't words. It really is indescribable, as you'll have in some versions, inexpressible. What can we really say? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Maybe there's one word. Hallelujah. Christ has come. Christ is coming again. Hallelujah. Please stand to sing.
You're not like a man that you change your mind, you change your plan. Invisible, our human eyes can't see the depth of Your majesty. You're the God of forever and ever, Amen. The Alpha Omega, beginning and end. We sing Hallelujah. We worship Him, Lord, immortal, invisible God. Immortal, You are not bound by death. You're the Please be seated as we dedicate our offering and pray. Father in heaven, uh, you are the great giver and you've called us to give, not to pay back. It would be irreverent of us and impossible for us. Would you call us to give because you know the joy of giving? Because it was for the joy that was, beset, that was set before our Lord Jesus that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Your joy to send him. And the Holy Spirit's joy to speak of him through us and to work in people's hearts and minds to trust him. And so I pray that we would know the joy of giving, not just presence to one another. But giving to this work of the church so that... The word of the Lord can flourish and can go from this place and be honored by all. First, we must honor it here. And then I pray that it will be honored by all those to whom we take it. So thank you for causing us to be givers. 
and to work through the ministry that you have given to us here. And Father, we know that Christ has come and he's made peace and we pray that we would live in it and that even we would anticipate its full expression in his coming again. And Father, on this day, I know there are many for whom a day like today is difficult. So there's shattered dreams, there's unmet expectations. For some, sadness of family, there's fractures. For some who are ill, there's pain and disease and difficulty. There's some who are out of work, there's disappointment and frustration and sadness. For those who find themselves away from home, especially perhaps those who are in the military, others who are just away from family on this day, we pray that you would bless and that you would keep. But Father, may we never forget that Christ has come. For his coming confirms to us that your word is true. You promised he would come and he came. In his coming, we see that you're faithful, that you're wise, that you're good, that you're almighty, that you are love. So we pray that you would instill in us that we have nothing to fear, that we're blessed, even as we look forward to our blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this we pray in Jesus' name.